Wow. And so when I was 16 years old, uh, uh, one of the most um, traumatic things in my life happened. And I was molested and I had some, a lot of screwed up shit going on when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Therapy, my whole life, ADHD, take Ritalin, give them this. And this is the best what my parents had. And, and so my dad, you know, made some terrible mistakes and I took the shame on when I was 16 years old. Welcome to the Road to 100 podcast, a show for those of you who are out there building empires. We're your hosts, Cody Littlewood and Pasha Esfendieri. Together, we'll embark on the journey to the coveted 100 million mark, as well as striving for excellence in every aspect of our lives. Here at the Road to 100, we believe that true success goes beyond financial prosperity. That's why we bring you insightful conversations with top entrepreneurs and trailblazers who share their unfiltered experiences in building wealth, as well as cultivating fulfilling relationships and maintaining optimal health. This podcast is perfect for ambitious entrepreneurs, health enthusiasts, and anyone seeking genuine and transformative insights from those who dare to go all out. Welcome to the Road to 100, and we will see you at the finish line. Hey everyone, welcome to the pod. We have an awesome guest, good friend of Pasha and mine that we've uh, uh, that we've spent a, a good deal of time with. Um, Jeremiah has uh, Jeremiah has an incredible story. We're really excited to have him on. He comes from he, he came from a pretty rough background, turned his whole life around, has built several seven figure businesses, and is absolutely crushing it. And I know his main business has a particularly really great kind of a a, a purpose behind it that's more than just profit um so anyways welcome to the show jeremiah thank you so much for spending time with us we're really stoked to have you yeah man i'm super grateful to be here with you guys you guys are rock stars in your world and you guys are both men that i really look up to in so many ways yeah thanks man that's really kind of you to say um i'd love to you know we we kind of know a little bit about your story but just to kind of set the framework and the groundwork for everyone listening i'd love to kind of hear uh, a little bit about how you got your start. Um, I think you have uh, you have a really interesting story. You went through a lot. Um, you know, I know uh, you're you're a recovering addict, and you've still managed to uh, you've managed to kind of overcome that and build an incredible business, and then do a lot of stuff that help other people in similar positions along the way. So I'd love to kind of dig into a little bit of your story. Um, and uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't mind, uh, if we can kind of uncover a little bit about how you, uh, you know, how you got into kind of the mess you were in and, and how you got out. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. So people ask me all the time, they're like, what do you do? I'll, I'll be getting a haircut or something. Like, what do you do? And I'm like, mm -hmm. <laughs> I just got to giggle. And I'm like, uh, I don't know how to describe that. And so, uh, you know, the long and the short, I just say I'm a mason contractor. I do brick and concrete. And then they kind of get into it. And we start talking and they're like, wow, you're a little bit deeper than that. Right. And so I've had coaches and mentors and stuff along the way. So I'm in the human development business. And so I work on humans. And so we have three uniques at my company and it's people first, our proven process and a quality guarantee, but people always come first. So I'm in the human development industry financed by masonry and brick repair. And so that's that, like, that's a widget that we use to help take people out of pain and to help alleviate suffering in, in, in the human, you know, the human experience is really what I get excited for. And that's really what we do as a whole. So your business is to help other people, but you just happen to use the profit of, of, I guess, you know, the uh, providing value to other folks or homes, businesses, et cetera, to be able to do so. 
Correct. Yeah. And so I, I, and this was all subconscious. It was guys like, you know, going diving deep with guys like Pasha and they're like, well, what I don't understand. Like, and you get deeper into it and then he sees the passion kick on and it's, and it's pe- being with people that have done their own internal work that have led and guided me to go back in. So I never realized. So I never really looked at in the 12 steps, love them or hate them. They get you to the point where it's, you know, clean house and help others. And they don't ever go a little bit deeper into seeing why I actually used. And it was, why did I use drugs? And why did I get addicted to heroin? Why, why was the chemicals so powerful in my life? And, and really what it came to is I, I created an opportunity for my soul to rise up and stop the noise in my head. And I had to stop the noise and racket in order for that to, to figure that out. And I, what I did is I went from drugs and alcohol to proving myself to the world with business. And I never went back and took, and I got to the point where I had satisfied almost, almost all of my wildest dreams and I hated myself and I was suffering. And so, yeah, just trying to create the, 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 the way out of that. What's so fascinating about this for what you've already said for anyone who's listening. And by the way, you're so infectious with your energy for whoever is already listening. We already have a whole podcast. Like to talk deep dive into, and that's what you get from Jeremiah. So like, I'm really incredibly like happy to have you on and to dig into this. And I, I would like to ask you, I'm sure you've talked about it before. And if it's okay, can we talk about a little bit about that hero's journey that you, you, you had from going from your heroin addiction into your recovery into where you're at now and just kind of give a quick synopsis of, of kind of what the hell happened, man. And, and then how, and then the even better stories, how the hell did you get yourself out? Cause I, that's fascinating and so much courage and strength to do that. I appreciate that. And you're pointing that out. And so I never, ever thought, and, and so I, I really don't even identify as a recover, as, as a, an addict or an alcoholic anymore. I, I am as one of the most powerful things you can ever say. hundred percent. And so, and so I, I'm in recovery and, and I'm always in recovery and I'm in recovery from my, my autonomic responses. That's what creates freedom. And that's what the, the real space and the paradigm is. And that's what I'm so infatuated with. And so early on at a really young age, um, I always thought and I thought I thought this was normal. I always thought it would be better to be somebody else. And if I I'm, I'm like four years as far back as I can remember, just like thinking about the kid down the street. And I'm like, I wish I was him because his life's easier. And, and I kept all this internal. And then it was just a combination of, of that. And I always had the spark of the divine inside me. The, my creator has always put this on my heart to where I knew there was something better. I just had to get to the other side of it. So instead of turning inside, I turned outside for the external validation. Yeah. And I just kept spiraling out of control. And so and when I was when I was 15, 14 years old, I started smoking weed um, and, and doing the normal thing that I thought, you know, the kids that I hung out with did. Um, and my parents got a terrible divorce when I was 16 years old and I started partying and drinking every day. Uh, and then I got introduced to uh, Vicodin and Oxycontin. Fuck. And yeah, and then that was back in 2002, 2001, when Oxycontin just hit the market. Yeah. We were snorting them. We were having a good time, never thought anything of it. And from... That age, and I was about 16, 17 years old when I started getting introduced to heroin. Mm-hmm. And, and really what it was, was I, I didn't know. It was just partying. And so drugs and alcohol is, is fun. And then it becomes fun with problems. And it just becomes problems. And by the time it's just mm-hmm. problems, there's no way out. Yeah. You're stuck. And you've, and, you've, and you've evolved. And a cucumber becomes a pickle and a butterfly and all these analogies. And I, I wouldn't grasp that because I'm like, no, I'm different. And I'm not one of those alcoholics in the, in a basement of a church talking about doom and gloom. That's not me. I, I, and I was stuck in this paradigm where I couldn't, I couldn't not stop. And the thought of killing myself never crossed my mind. I'm like, this is, I, so, so I was stuck in this place where I hated myself, but I didn't know how to get out. Yep. Got it. Yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just curious. So, I mean, 
if you hated yourself, right. And you were probably in, I, I mean, a great deal of pain. What was kind of like the, what was kind of the big wake up moment for you? How long did it last? Like how long were you in, uh, you know, how long were you, were, were you kind of in the situation where it gone from just like casual drinks to, uh, you know, to becoming a pretty big problem? Like how long were you in that? And then like, what was the, what was like a big catalyst for you to kind of wake up and be like, okay, I am that guy in the basement doom and gloom kind of thing or, yeah, yeah. I was a dopey man. And, and, uh, what happened was, is it was really from about 16 to 21, I got sober. So actually in two days from now, it's the 24th. On the 26th, I'll celebrate 16 years. Fuck, and, that's um, awesome, man. Wait, so you got sober, you started getting sober at 16? No, so 21, so I started going to okay. rehab. My first rehab was when I was 19. Oh, okay, holy And, and from when I was 20, I got sober. It was my fourth, so I went into three inpatient rehab centers from mm-hmm. 19 to 20. And I, and, and I would just go, my dad would pick me up and we'd smoke weed on the way home. And, and he was wow. like, son, just drink and just do what you got to do and don't do that hard shit. And he was the one I was doing pills with him. Wow. And so when I was 16 years old, uh, uh, one of the most um, traumatic things in my life happened. And I was molested and I had some lot of screwed up shit going on when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Therapy, my whole life, ADHD, take Ritalin, give them this. And this is the best what my parents had. And, and so my dad you know, made some terrible mistakes and I took the shame on when I was 16 years old. And I was afraid to be a human. I was afraid to be alive and I was afraid to walk around. And I, and I took all that shame on when I was 16. And that's when I got strung out on drugs. I won't blame him for anything, but that was the actions I chose to take. Yeah. So from 16 to 20 is when I was, I was using actively every day. I was 18 years old when I woke up one day and I was sick and I didn't know why I was sick. And I dealt with DTs from alcohol, but I never felt this feeling before. And I'm like, I feel literally like I'm dying. What's going on with me? And it hit me. You're dope sick. Like you're a chemically dependent on the Oxycontin. And I went right to rehab. And that was my first rehab center, second rehab center, third rehab center. I try to still drink. I started to try to still party. Third rehab, uh, I stayed sober a day shy of eight months. And I mean, I got cars back, license, a job. I got all this stuff back and I never did any of the internal work. Relapsed two rehab centers later is when I finally got sober this time. And so along that journey, my little brother died. He was 18 years old of an overdose. Um, he was three years younger than me. Um, and a lot, I mean, I had like five or 10 friends die in one summer. Uh, and Jeez. so that was a huge catalyst. Jesus. But to answer your question about what it finally was, is, is I was sick and tired of doing what I had to do to get another drug. And I was a liar, cheat, and a thief. And my soul wouldn't put up with it anymore. And, and what I would do is people quit. They hated getting high with me. They're like, they called me Campbell. They're like, Campbell's a, a maniac because all drugs affect me oppositely. Like I do a bump of cocaine and put me to sleep. Um, I do heroin and I'd be like waking up and people are like nodding out and stuff. And I just, the minute the drugs hit me, I would become like a preacher. And I'd be like, guys, there's so much more to life than this. Like we got to do something different. Like this is crazy. Why are we wasting our lives? And then I finally started listening to myself. Mm -hmm. Wow. Wow. That's uh, holy shit, man. Like, thank you for sharing that. And also um, tremendously like heart heavy to hear about everything. And I think it's, it's, it's remarkable where you're at now, what you've done, not, and here's the thing that uh, we'll get into. It's not just what you've done in business and your success, because when we know you, like Cody and I know you, you all about coaching people first, kind of like who you're talking about earlier, you and your wife are all about empowerment and you've really dedicated your whole life to this. And so just such a blessing and, you How know, old are you, real quick? Yeah. Sorry, Jeremy. No, go ahead. I just turned 37. You just turned 37. Okay, cool. You lived. Oh, wow, 15 years. <laughs> 20 different lives. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. You live 20 fucking different lives. Um, and, you know, one thing I want to talk about that we don't talk, and I'm sure we can talk about business, but like, this is too fascinating. And I think this is something that um, as, as men or, and as women, we need to talk about as humans. Let me just put this as humans. We need to talk about more that we don't is this shadow work. And I know you do a lot of shadow work. Mm. What, and, and so why don't you just, what is shadow work? And then tell us your experience with shadow work. Cause I know what shadow work is. It's fascinating and I love it. And so I want to get your um, experience on it. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I never knew, I never had any shadows. You people did not me. Like I was good. Like, I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you people, but if I could just make money and leave myself alone, I didn't have shadows until I hit a wall. And so in 20, in 2021, um, I was at a beach and, and I was listening to a podcast. And I had a panic attack. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what this is. Like, where is this coming from? I, I all of a sudden I felt anxiety. I've never felt anxiety in my face. That was for weak hearted people, like the weak people that right. don't know how to hit their goals. <clears throat> and I found myself at a place where I sat back for a minute when I tried to gain some, some, some reality. And I, I thought about it for a minute. I go, Oh, this is why people kill, kill themselves. They can't get rid of this feeling. Like yeah. if finally, I finally knew what it was. And so Again, that, that spark of the divine that my creator put into me, I started to get curious and started wondering, what is this about? Like, where, where did this come from? My whole external world is beautiful. What is this coming from? And so that started me on the journey of, of looking into the shadow. So the shadow, shadow work to me is I, I love working with. So my wife and I do a ton of nervous system work. And the nervous system is what controls every single thing in your body, in your minds, in your thoughts. It's your stories. It's your beliefs. It's everything that people talk about personalities and, and preferences and, and, and beliefs and all these things. And I'm like, your belief creates your perception or your per perception creates what you, what reality you experience. And at that moment I was experiencing a really, really dark to the point where I, I didn't feel safe anymore. And then I started playing with it more. And so the shadows are, are the stories or the parts of your body or yourself that's, that's cataloged in you. And a lot of it's generational and passed down to you that you don't uh -huh. even know what it is. And when you start getting curious and looking to why is it when I see a beautiful chick, I automatically turn to lust or why is it when I see a, a successful entrepreneur, I, I get jealous or I get inspired. All of those are parts of your shadow. And so when you start to go in to start understanding the way we tick or what actually excites me and in all of those things have done the biggest theft in, in human history, as far as I'm concerned, is it robs you of the present moment. Yeah. Well, I want to I want to add on to that because for my work of shadow work was, you know, growing up as the child that was the people pleaser, like the, I was the good kid. I was the sorry, guys. Do, do you guys mind real quick before we do, before we go? I, I want to go into more of that. But do you guys mind defining shadow work? What is shadow work for those of us that are not as, uh, uh, as enlightened? Because there's probably a bunch of listeners. I imagine there are a bunch of listeners right. like me. Maybe not. Maybe I'm the only idiot. But uh do you want to kind of describe it a little bit? <laughs> um, sure. I'll try to describe it. And then Jeremiah, you try to describe it. It's essentially the side of yourself that you try to repress and you try not to let out. Okay. Like, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Jeremiah, do you have another explanation or. Uh, I, I try to, I try to hit Google. You're pulling it up. <laughs> <laughs> Embroidery done by shadow stitch. So it's the wrong one. And so. Yeah. And so <laughs> I, really, I don't like, think it's embroidery. <laughs> I think, I think Pasha was right. And, and, and the thing about shadow work is you don't know they're there. That's why they're called shadows. Yeah. Got it. So. Okay. So, sorry, Pasha. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Up. No, 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 not at all. 
Those those are a great question. I'm glad I'm glad you, we wanted to clarify that. So growing up as the people pleaser, the good kid, right? When I grew up as an adult, I still had that modality, but there was a fire still inside of me that wanted to come out, right? And that wanted to be like, no, this is not okay. This is what I fucking want. But then I've repressed it so many times. It's become a part of my my habit of just being the people pleaser, going with the flow where there was a lot of times where I don't want to fucking go with the flow. And so when I started to do my shadow work, uh, I want to say about 10 years ago, uh, really this whole like new side came out to me like, no, I fucking want this. I don't care what people think. And, da, 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 da. and like, I really became this like different person. It's embracing the parts of yourself that you repress. Kind of like Jeremiah's example of like, you look at somebody and you're like, oh shit, I'm married. I can't look at somebody else because that's not okay. But that's again, a like you're repressing that, that becomes your shadow self. And then, so the shadow work really has you look at your other side of you because it is part of you. And then you need to find the balance of accepting that you are these thoughts and you are this person, but it's your actions. And then it's about talking as an adult with yourself to seeing what is emotionally connected with you and what is not emotionally connected with you and what works and what doesn't. So it's, it's kind of a, major mind fuck when you go through it. I know Jessica hated me while I was doing my shadow work. But then like, I think in every human behavior, we go to extremes. I learned my shadow side and I went to that extreme side and I was just a lot more argumentative. And like, I was just fighting a lot more with my, like my brother. Right. And so, but then I found my equilibrium to kind of like balance it out on like both parts. So that's kind of like shadow work in a nutshell. No, I love that. And you're hundred percent right. And so I, I work with this healer. He taught me this thing. He goes, whenever anything is going on in your life, pause, what a pleasure, no matter what it is. And, and when I can embrace that side of me and just relax and let the present moment come to me, when, when my wife and I, we have couples masterminds and we work with couples and, and we're dating each other's nervous system is what we're actually doing and trauma responses and understanding attachment styles and, and communication and, and being able to properly go through um, and, and build a more intimate relationship. And I have friends and they'll come to me and it's funny because I usually act more like the woman and my wife usually acts more like the man. So we get opposite polarities. It's, it's a feminine masculine dynamic. And what I, what I learned was people come to me and they say, oh, I want to do shadow work. And I'm like, please tell me more. Um, and, and kind of just kind of listen. And Pasha taught me that too, to stop talking and listen. And you're going to learn so much more. <laughs> and, and I say to that, and I say, well, what are you happy? And are you excited? Because some people don't need to do shadow work. But if you're in discontent or disharmony in your body and you're upset or you react certain ways that you're not liking, usually it's in the shadows where we find some peace and serenity inside those same situations. Yeah. And then it also just one last thing on it is just accepting. I think there's so much comfort and then there's like a content feeling when you're able to accept all parts of yourself instead of ever shaming yourself. And when you get to that place in like human mastery, of like just accepting every part of yourself and be like, hey, that's just me. It's just a thought. I don't need to do anything of it. You start to be, at least for me, I started to be a lot more gentler and compassionate towards myself. Mm. Yeah. That's the, that's the stuff. And it's, and it's, dude, and you can see it on you. And it's an energy that you pick up with both of you men where it's like, oh, he's actually at peace. And what you do is you create 
you take away all your bullshit and all your stories and you can meet people so much closer to who they actually are. So when you're here and, and they're here and you got all your stuff and all their stuff, if you can take away your stuff and just be present, presence is what actually heals. And you can see them where they are. That's when you're really like, that's when your superpowers start to come out. Yeah. I'd love, I'd love to ask a little bit. I, you touched on something I think pretty interesting um, where you said, and, and I've done this, uh, so I can relate with this one a little bit more than I can relate with the, um, uh, than a, a little bit more than I can relate with the, with the drugs and addiction. But you said you got done with the drugs and you, you got done with the drugs and addiction, but then you went to something else completely, right? Which was just pouring yourself into work and a business. Um, and I mean, that, that's, I think that's happened to the best of us. Uh, you know, and I, I've certainly done that a little bit. So I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, going from, uh, going from kind of that place of addiction to then building what was your first business, I, I think, and, 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 and growing that and getting and kind of pouring yourself in like thinking like, oh, if I, if I look, I love the word, I love the, how you described it, looking externally instead of fixing things internally, because so many people do that. And that doesn't apply to addictions and just work, uh, but also relationships, right? People try to fix things externally with relationships um, and then they never can. And uh, it's, I, I love, uh, I love Dr. Kelly uh, Flanagan and in general, I think a lot of him. And I think uh, uh, he talks a little bit about this and I know, I know there's some other folks that talk about it as well, but how we all kind of search externally to fix the problems that are actually internal. And then, so I'd love to kind of dig into what did you do? And then like, what was the big, what was kind of the second awakening moment where you were like, okay, actually what I'm doing, you know, just working on this business to try to fill this void isn't actually what, what matters. Um, and then kind of that journey through there, I'd love to dive into that. Yeah. I love it. I mean, it's, and so it's all hindsight now looking back at it. And I, I just, I, I just did what I thought I was supposed to do by the conditioning of my parents and culture. Right. Like go to work, make money. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what the man's supposed to do. And what I what I try to do, especially with our kids, is I want to challenge that. I just want to challenge of of why do we have to do it that way? Why do we have to spend time with these people on this time and all of these traditions and stuff? Right. And uh, did you want to say something, Paja? No, I'm just I'm you're just resonating so much with me about like I don't think enough people question their beliefs and where it came from. Why are we not challenging what we believe all the time? So anyways, I was just really resonating. Yeah. Go ahead. Every preference blocks you from your possibility. And, and Boom. when I try to think about that, like every, just the way I drink my coffee in the morning is going to block me from any future possibility that I have. And we all talk about as entrepreneurs, I want excitement and I want new things and I want creations. And I come from a place of being scared. And so when I wanted to start looking, so what I would do is I would just find something. And so Dr. Huberman always talks about the addiction, right? And it's a progressive, a progressive narrowing of pleasure. And the more I pleasure center it down, which means if I can't get pleasure in the small things, I'm never going to get pleasure in the big things. And so that's looking backwards. But I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I can go to work. I can make money. I can start a business. I can employ other people. And it was all about the money um, and building stuff up. And each one of those like calibers, as we do when we buy our first homes, we buy our second homes, we buy these businesses, we buy these buildings, we buy these apartments. Yeah, they feel good. And you get the dopamine rush from it. But you're always on to the next one into the next one, into the next one. And when they stop working or when what happened for me was um, – People stop saying when I would like, okay, I'm going to go do something crazy or I'm going to go buy this building or this new truck or this apartments, whatever I would say. People, I would say, you're not surprising people anymore. They're just expecting it of you. And that's when I started to look inside. 
And when I could no longer like wow people and be like, oh, Campbell's crazy because that's what I got with the drugs. And so now I got it with the business and they're like, oh yeah, he, he, max, he accidentally did drugs for a little bit. And now he's a millionaire. And it's like, you missed the whole process in between and who I actually became. And so really starting to, to, to shift from the external and I still do, I'm still guilty of it. I'm like, Pasha, I like fancy shit. And you're in you too, Cody. Like <laughs> you like fancy stuff and, 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 and we like five-star hotels and extravagant travels and all those. And it still feels good. But what, what, what really matters? Like what really matters at the end of the day? And those things don't excite me anymore. Like they used to. What does excite you? And what does matter? Well, that's such a great question. What really matters is knowing who I am and feeling safe in my own skin. And when I look at building a deeper relationship with my wife or my kids, like the shitty part is it always comes back to me. But that's the best part too. And when I'm feeling in lack, it's because I'm not doing my internal work or something's there. So people, especially men, are afraid of emotions. And it's like, what is an emotion? It's energy trying to move. Emotion, energy in motion. And when it gets blocked, all we are is, is a conductor for source to come through us anyways. And so when it's coming through us and resonating us, I don't have to do anything. I let it come right to me and I can get in alignment. So it's understanding how I tick. It's not allowing myself to be emotionally charged in the good or the bad way. Whether it, no matter, pause, what a pleasure. And if I can get into the pleasure moment, like Viktor Frankl said, with the trees moving and looking at the leaves and, and I can find true contentment and, and, and joy, because joy is an internal. I can get excitement and happy from external, but joy, you can't buy that and they can't give it to you in a pill. So joy is something that I have to get from contentment, from, from real deep connections with the people I work with or my wife and my kids and, and actually do something for other people without expecting anything in return is one of the best ways I get joy. And that's what really matters to me. I, I like, I'm hearing you, you talk about the like pause, what a pleasure. And I'm just like, shit, man, if I can use this for whenever my wife like says something or like digs at me or kind of like just pisses me off, I'd be such a happier man. Not that she does all the time, but there's just time. I don't know what it is with me. Um, and like, I, I can't let things go. Right. It's like an actual problem where, you know, something like bothers me and I just stay there. And I, and I think for what I know of it is that, you know, when you do have ADD, it's a lack of adrenaline. And so when feeling bad or feeling angry is, is adrenaline to your, to your mind. And that's, something that we live for. And so I like see that, but then I just, you know, I just like, if I could just do that, stop, what a pleasure. And then like roll over and be like, babe, I don't care. Like, let's, let's just cuddle, you know, like that'd be yeah. so nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or just in general, I think that so often we, uh, you know, so often it's easy like to get wrapped up in like whatever went wrong or whatever feels like it's going wrong in that moment. Um, you know, and to be able to, to be able to enjoy it for what it is. I just read, um, I just read, uh, I think it's living untethered. Wow. I love what he says about, summer. yeah, yeah, it's super good. And, and, uh, I, you know, some of it was a little, I, I will say some of it, it's maybe a little hard to totally incorporate. Um, it's a little out there, um, for me, but I, I loved what he said about preferences, um, and how so much of our anxiety and our displeasure with what's going on is because we've imposed some sort of, we've had some experience and then we either, we, we've had some experience and either it was a good experience or it was a bad experience. And for the rest of our lives, when we have a similar experience, we're trying to impose our own preferences on that experience, whether it's trying to avoid this experience because it was bad or whether it's trying to have this experience because it was good or recreate that experience. Right. So 
this person said, I, you know, this person said something this way, and that was the best way to ever say it. And now every time they say something nice to me, it's not as good as that time that they said that. Right. And so I love that. I, I love the, um, you know, I love the awareness of like, uh, you know, of just enjoying the moment and being present. Um, so much of like, look, imposing our preferences on the moment or like looking forward to something else or looking back on something else, um, just kills so much joy in our life. It just like removes so much joy from, from, from the present. So. I love that book. The first two chapters of that book are so far out there, man. And I, I've listened to it like three times, but all of that, (laughs) what you just described talks a lot about shadow work too, though. Because those are anchoring okay. points back to your conditioning of what you think is good and bad. There's nothing is is any way. It just is. Yeah. Like there's nothing to it. There's no in-depth to it. But because we're in these flesh suits and we have these stories imprinted on us, it doesn't it doesn't make a difference what it is. It's only my perception. I always share with people, you see a, a car race by. If your one of your family members died in that car, but that's my dream car, we're gonna have two completely different experiences to the same event. My mind does like two things really well: safe, unsafe, known, and known. And that's it. Everything else is a fucking story. That's it. Yeah. And so who wrote the story? I did. So who gets to go back in and rewrite it? I do. But you gotta it's because for me. One, one of two things, control or safety. I have to say, well, it's got to be this way because if it's not this way, I'm not controlling the narrative. I'm not controlling the narrative. I don't feel safe. My nervous system won't let me not feel safe because my ego wants to keep me alive. Yeah. And so now I'm stuck and trapped and I'm like, well, now I'm just an asshole and I'm angry and she's beautiful looking there. And I'm like, you're an asshole for no reason. Yeah. And tell me how that turns out. It's like, well, <laughs> no, pause. What a pleasure. Yeah. So eventually you... um so sorry, and I, I keep getting distracted because I think you got some awesome stuff to say. But so eventually, you you know, you kind of figured out like, okay, you know, I was I was pouring into addiction to escape something inside of myself. I was pouring into work uh, to escape something inside of myself. And then you, so were you building your masonry business along the like? Was that the first business that you were building? Yeah. And then you kind of okay. So that was the first business that you were building. You were pouring yourself into it. Were you helping people along the way, or um, did that kind of come later? Um, oh, that was all part of the the, the, the entire process. So okay. what we do is hard work. It sucks. Like it's really hard work, and it's seasonal. So we work eight to nine months out of the year, and you know take huge losses in Q one and all that fun stuff. But the whole time, what I was doing is I was working with people new in recovery. And so I'm part of these nonprofits and I got these recovery homes and it's wonderful. But what I was doing is I, and and I had to have a coach or a mentor tell me and show me these things because we were taking these individuals, man and women, uh, in new in recovery that nobody would give them a chance. Nobody would give them the opportunity. And so they're, they didn't have a job. They were unemployable. They usually have felonies. A lot of my guys have face tattoos and no. So all of your employees are are in recover from recovery or for the most part really yeah dude that's fucking awesome i love that like good kudos on you that's amazing all right sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no no and so and so what happens is is what is it what made them use drugs and alcohol so they have sponsors and 12 steps and meetings and their own recovery journey my job as an employer is not to do that my job is to make sure that they have capacity and time to go there but what i found out along the way was and this was this was all just watching it and i watched these few guys come in and we run at such a high cadence at our company that we try to bring people in from other organizations and they, one out of like a hundred make it. So we create them from inside of us and we train them and we build them up. And what all, I, all we really truly do and our trick to the secret sauce is we actually care. 
and I want to see them succeed. Like that's like yeah. the secret. Like, oh, you actually have to give a shit. Like you could throw as much money as you can at people. People leave companies or join companies for three reasons. One, for the money. That's like the least reason. Two, for upward mobility. Is there future growth for them? And three, is there, well, how is the culture? What does the leadership look like? And you guys know this. And so what I would, what we would do is, is we get these individuals from 18 years old to 50 years old that really screwed up in their lives to end up at recovery or addiction or whatever it was. And nobody ever poured into them. Nobody ever truly believed in them or gave them the opportunity and thought. And this was part of their shadow work before drugs and alcohol. And usually it's why it led them to them because of their self-worth. So we got a, uh, we have it set up to where you come to work with us, you go through a, a six-week training program. And then from that six-week training program, what you do is it, I, I give them a clear path in 24 months. Anybody that works for me, if they're capable and able to get to six figures. Dude, this is awesome. Yeah, I love hearing this. Yeah. That's incredible. For yeah. sure. If I ever lose everything, I'm going to come work for you. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's awesome. Can we talk a little bit about like, fuck, man, this is so fascinating. I, a, I, I don't want to like regress, but I, I also want to know how you created the, the masonry business. But then I really am more so fascinated if you, so if you could touch on that just like really quickly, I would love to know that. And then, and then what you do to really pour into your people. Like I'm, I'm really fascinated to know like that as a business owner, I'm looking for ways, how can I pour more into my people mm -hmm. as well? So, yeah. So um, I was setting tile for my neighbor. I think it was between rehab three and five, three and four. And he was paying me $8 an hour. This was back in 2006 and he didn't have a license and we was driving him around. I drive him around like 13 hours. I get paid for like six. I'd make like $65 for the day and I used my fuel. Um, and does, I, I, went to, I went to a 12 step meeting, I swear to God. And I went to a meeting and this guy came up to me. And at that time I was 19, 20 years old. And everybody in, 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 in these 12 steps meetings was like a hundred. And I was like a young buck and I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they're like, I spilt, I spilt more wine than you ever drank and all this shit. And I'm like, whatever, dude, I can't stop. I can't keep a needle out of my arm. And this young kid came up to me and he was like, Hey, you want a job? I didn't even ask him what he was doing. And I go, sure. And he, he was successful. Pasha, let me tell you guys, Cody, yeah. he was successful. At the time, I was smoking cigarettes. I was rolling my own and I had a $1 rip it. My man had a fresh pack of Marlboro Reds <laughs> and, a, and a Red Bull. He had a Red Bull. Yeah. I had a $1 drink. Like I was like, I want to be like you when I grow up. Right. And uh, he took me out canvassing and we took out, went out knocking doors. And I knocked doors and uh, we were like talking about tuck pointing. And I stopped at a guy's house, sold him a $300 project. The guy came running across the street. Two days later, come home, there's a $100 bill in my dresser. And I'm like, mom, what is this? And she's like, oh, I don't know. Some kid dropped it off where he said it was your pay. And I was like, I didn't have a cell phone. And that was, that was my hook. And I was like, wow. And that's where it yeah. started. Got it. Okay, cool. Yes. Thanks for thanks for letting me know that. I just Absolutely. I was just so curious. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about how you pour into your your people. And so, okay, so the way we pour individuals is, is a leadership. I got it, it's almost every one of my leadership team has been with me. So there's seven of us on our leadership team. Every one of them has been with me for you know five plus years. And they started with me at the bottom and they worked their way up through the organization. And what they do is we, it's not a tiered thing, right? So people say like pyramids. And so everything that I do, I have biweekly meetings company-wide. Whenever I have one-on-ones with our individuals, so each one of my staff members, like my HR today, we talked about, she took every single, we had 68 team members in the entire company. We took, we took each one of them. And at the beginning of the year, we talk about their goals for the season and we track it. 
and we track it for them because these individuals and we celebrated. I had I had one person buy a car, one person uh, in the last two week period, and two people buying houses. And so we create. We, uh, every other week, we'll have somebody come in and we, we teach them about um, how to mortgage. As in, we get we had uh, Dave Ramsey Financial Peace. We had the, the app on their phones and we would reward them for that. And then one of the things that I do is most importantly is I, I'm there every single morning. Do I like waking up at 530? No. I go there and it's my whole team together. And I walk up to individuals and I give them the time and I give them my presence. And I ask them two questions. How are you doing? Like, and it takes me a few, a few times, but how are you actually doing? How is your wife? How is your kids? And number two, how can I help you win? And then I follow through with it. Even if it's not me following through, I give it to the right person so that they can follow through. We talk about work-life balance. We talk about what is it in their lives. And then every time I get the opportunity to address the entire company, I, I point out individuals, the, the, the most beautiful word in the English language is your own personal name. And so I, I call them out and, and I never... I'm, I'm getting better at this. I praise in public and ridicule in private. And I always try to do praise sandwiches, right? You're doing really good at this and I'm really liking this. Can we adjust this and make sure you keep doing this really good? And those are like the real easy fundamentals that we get when, when we're trying to build a new team member. Got it. Yeah. I mean, I think you said it perfectly in the beginning of the, the podcast. It's you really care. I think that's the most important. I, I think whatever way you go about it, as long as you really care and they feel like you genuinely care about them, you know, it's, people will stick around. They're resilient to you, uh, which is amazing. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. I um, I have a random question because you just you bring up a lot for me, Jeremiah. You really do. But so you're doing all of this, but you do all a lot of this work, and so you know, I think this is very catered to you. It's like. When the hell is enough is enough. Like when, because we're going to keep working. We could, we could keep working. We could keep going, right? But like when is enough for you? Like when are you, what's your kind of big vision? What's your goal? You know, are you going to keep doing this? You're going to make more businesses? Like when's enough for you? Out of curiosity. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, enough for me, and it's not a monetary number, right? There's got to be a financial security to, you know, maintain lifestyle and all that stuff. The, the work that I do with my wife is the most beneficial work that I've ever done. Like this stuff is impactful, yeah. but I dealt with so much internal conflict my entire life around my sexuality and around my intimate relationships with my wife that some of the most healing I've ever done was around that. So my next evolution of work is going to be full time with couples and intimate uh, somatic healings and bringing presence to the body. So as far as the business goes, we just started another business doing concrete production, uh, manufacturing with, with these trucks. And I, I really love it. I, I love what I actually do. So the, there, there is an exit strategy five, 10 years out. Um, we, we just brought on guys now that are going to help us re-systemize stuff to, to be a platform for private equity and things like that, whether we ever want to do that or I want to do an ESOB to the team. Um, but I don't see myself doing this for my whole life. Got it. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, you said something where I'm like, oh, shit, I got to ask about this. If you're open to talking about it, you, you know, because I don't think men often have the courage like you do to talk about it. But you just said sexuality and couples work and you and your wife. Like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I would love to. Yeah, the, my whole life I was addicted. I mean, remember I bought my first computer when I was 16 and I, and I didn't stop masturbating like till like two years ago. And it was every day. It was just what I did. And it was, I was high strong and I just, I just thought it was normal. And, and I never realized how bad 
pornography destroys your soul. Like it, like it's, it literally it's kind of true. Bro, there's no and, and your I, expectations of ooh, like ooh. <laughs> that was a rough one to be like, ah, oh, shit, I can't do that. I can't do that. Like, that's a lot, dude. It's it, there's no other drug or chemical on the entire planet that can do peak dopamines. It'll take you up to higher than than methamphetamines or cocaine or heroin. It'll take you all the way up there, and then it le- it can leave you there for hours, hours, and it ruins everything in your life. And so I always battled with that. And I'm like, is this right? And I'm, I've been a believer of Christ for a long time. I believe in so many different, you know, how the vastness of the universe and, and all these things. And I always wonder what blocked me from it. Mm-hmm. And so when I stop and I'm like, I, I figure out I could, I spend a lot of money, but I make a lot of money and I never really run out of money because I just find ways to make more money. I'm like, okay, I got that figured out. Um, my family loves me. I'm a good dude. Okay. I got that figured out. Then why is all this resistance coming from my relationship? My wife's beautiful. My, 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 my kids are, my, it's, everything's wonderful. And so I really started to pay attention to what was causing dis-ease and disharmony in my body. And it was my relationship to, from being molested as a kid and from, from turning to, I, 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 my whole life, I was like, you're weak if you're a seeker or if you're not a seeker, if you're not searching for something, then what are you doing? You're just a, whatever. And then I started to think about it and I'm like, well, wait a minute. And what I learned is seeking puts a blinder or a shield over your heart because it doesn't get you to actually who you really are. And if I can't open my heart as a man, which most, most people can't, they don't have access to it. And they don't even know what it feels like. And how do I know that? Because I've been that guy for 30 something years of my life. And so when I, when I wanted to, instead, I wasn't really looking for sex. What I was looking for was an intimate connection. And as corny as that might sound, I just wanted my wife to see me for who I really was. Cause I was afraid if she really found out who I was, she would leave me. Nobody would want to be, with, I don't want to be with me. Why would, why would somebody else want to be with me? Mm-hmm. And it was really bringing peace and presence to that. And so we've been on about a three year healing journey um, around, around what sex actually means. And I have a sex therapist and, and she's like, who taught you about sex? And I'm like, I don't know. Nobody had a conversation with me. I'm like in fifth grade. They're like, well, how do you know how to have sex or what's normal or what's not normal or even comfortable with your own body if nobody ever walked you through that? And, and so that's really what really gets me excited is to understand how sex plays in such an important role, how I thought it played such an important role. And now I can go like, if we don't have sex for a week, I'm like, I'm so in love with you. I can literally just lay next to you because I know who I am and I know where my heart is. And I, when I'm in presence of her or a man or whoever, I can open my heart and have access. And it's like, well, wait a minute here. Like, I don't need anything right now because I'm whole as I am. And and for somebody listening to this that has never done shadow work and done anything, they're like, this motherfucker's nuts. Like, that shit sounds lame. And I'm like, trust me, just try it. And I promise you it'll pay dividends. Yeah. I mean, I, this is, you know, more of a, of a show that we're talking about, you know, business and whole life. And, you know, what I find with all of this work and sexuality and just really embracing who you are as a core, it makes, at least for me, a better investor because I'm not so emotional. I'm not so like things don't really affect me much, right? Doing all of this work that you've done. Cause like, I think we've all heard it. Like it's actually 10% work, 90% mindset, right? So you're a massive mindset guy and all of these things tie into it. I mean, you know, sexual sexuality and who you are as a man or woman and how you bring that into your everyday life matters. And if you're repressing any part of it, it, it will affect your decision-making and other parts of it too, right? And I always really loved Think and Grow Rich about sexual transmutation. 
it's about how to harness that sexuality and puts that into your to your work but you know i also get that it's really taboo for a lot of people to talk about right and so i just i just appreciate the hell out of you for even bringing it up and allowing me to ask the questions and because this is stuff that you know i've also done work on um as well and all all the pieces of the puzzle just allows me to be more even keel about when it comes to my business what i want to do how think the right questions and not be so amped up sexually or, or whatever, you know? I think that um, Warren Buffett has a pretty interesting quote where he talks about, where he talks about temperament and emotional stability um, in building and in building businesses and investing. I think he says something to the effect of like the actual mental piece, like you don't have to have 150, you know, IQ, you can probably get away with like a, a 90 IQ. Um, and the most of the big differences between great investors and mediocre investors, uh, you know, I think he talks about not, not being just pure IQ level. It's actually temperament and emotion. So, um, the, that's, that's so true. And most men, if you're anything like me, I spent my whole life chasing pink or green. Like that's it. Money or women, <laughs> and even if it's your, even if it's yeah. your wife, you're still chasing it. And I look at my house and the cars and everything that I've ever done. And I'm like, oh yeah, or, or the nice vacations. Oh, this is going to lead to better sex. Oh, okay. And when I'm chasing, that means I can't be present because that means everything that I'm doing, I'm putting on the future. And that, again, that's the biggest, the, the biggest robbery that you can ever do. And it's like, no, I, this is just as good. Pause. What a pleasure. Isn't this one of the best things that I've ever experienced? It's up to me to allow that to actually fall into my body and for me to actually believe it. This yeah. is something that I resonate a lot with that I, because my twins are on the way, right? They'll be here in the end of November. We're recording this July 24th, right? And it's like, um, how the hell do I stop living in the future? I'm always thinking, what's the next step? What's three years from now? What's five years from now? What's 10 years from now? What's my future coming for me? And I'm like, oh, shit, I'm going to be a father soon. I need to start just learning how to be present in the moment. And that's my practice right now, just being present, which is not an easy task for someone like myself. <laughs> it's, it, it's really not, man. So anyways, Jeremiah, I, I just appreciate the hell out of you. You're, you're incredible. Um, yeah. This was a totally different perspective than what I thought we were going to get on the call. And I love it, man. I love, I, I love digging into this stuff. And I think that... Um, you know, I think that any work that you've done, you know, what I, I will say in just kind of one closing note is that I've realized as my businesses have gotten bigger and as I've, you know, started to deploy more and more capital, the best work I've done hasn't been like tactical stuff like, oh, I'm going to run Facebook ads or, oh, I'm going to do this, right? Like the, most of the best work that I've actually done has been like on myself, like making myself a better boss, a better mentor, a better person. Um, and that's really led to probably the biggest gains that I've had over the past two years, um, I would say. And that's been a little bit more exponential than ever before. I think all everything I was doing before, I was like so focused on business strategy and tactics and stuff like that. Um, and over the past two years, I think I've done a lot more work on myself as like a, like I said, a better boss, a better person, a better mentor. Um, you know, how can I pour into my people better? Um, how can I be a more stable, you know, and, and, and confident person. And anyways, it's, 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 it's I think it's been really some exponential stuff. And so I love that you came on and shared this stuff. I think it's really hard to talk about for a lot of people. Um, so I'm excited to share the perspective with the listeners. Yeah, thanks, one guys. thing 
One right. thing I'm going to say before we, we close it down, we're going to ask people how they can find you or ask you how you, people can find you is that you as a business coach or as just as a coach, um, I don't know if you do business, but like as a coach, you, one thing I look for, I look for people who have done it already, right? Who have already gone through it. Cause I see a lot of coaches who just want to be coaches, but they don't have the life experience or they want to be a business coach and they don't have a business and they've never scaled a fucking business, right? It's just ridiculous to me. And I, I, there's like emotional intelligence coaches who like, I'm like, I, I don't care if I'm judgmental, like your life isn't working. How the hell are you trying to tell somebody else how it should work and how it shouldn't? So anyways, I think anyone would be blessed around your aura and whoever you coach. So Jeremiah, with that said, how do people find you and learn more about you? Absolutely. So either on LinkedIn, uh, Jeremiah Campbell, and the place where I live the most is Instagram. It's Jeremiah underscore Campbell. Cool. Awesome, man. We Thanks appreciate so much. Of you. Thank you for being vulnerable and sharing, brother. Thank you, Brian. Absolutely. All right. So that's it for this episode of Road to 100. Thank you so much for watching or listening. All the links and resources that we mentioned are going to be linked down in the video description or in the show notes. And depending on where you're watching or listening to this, if you're listening to this on a podcast platform, then please make sure to leave us a five-star review because it truly helps new people to discover the podcast. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, then you can leave your comment below and ask any questions, insights, or thoughts about the episode. Thanks so much for watching. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button.